Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Today, our care pastor, Josh Masters, will continue in our series going through the book of Colossians. You can follow along with this message by opening up your Bible to Colossians chapter 2. You can also find our weekly message outline and many other resources on our website at brookwoodchurch.org or on our Brookwood app. Good morning, Brookwood. I'm so glad you guys are all here this morning. Hey, wasn't that great? Hey, Joe, Joe shared some stories this morning for us that were about songwriters who, despite their circumstances, despite their shady past, had discovered what it meant to be alive with Christ. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. What does it mean to be alive with Christ. Today we're continuing our series on the book of Colossians called Living Changed Lives. And we're more specifically going to be looking at Colossians 2 verses 11 through 15. So if you'd like, you can pull out your message guide and go ahead and open or swipe in your Bible to that passage, Colossians 2 11 through 15. It's on page 950 if you use the Bibles that we have uh, available in the bookstore. Uh, Last week we talked about the completeness of Christ and our ability to be complete in Him. We talked about our identity in Christ. But we actually stopped kind of in the middle of a thought. We had to stop right in the middle of where Paul was going. So let's back up a couple verses and get the context. Let's get the flavor of where we are in the passage. So let's back up uh, just for a minute to verse 9. Verse 9. Chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ who is head over every ruler and every authority. So we inherit the fullness of Christ. If our identity is rooted in Christ and his nature, if our identity is rooted in who Christ is rather than who we were, then we are complete in Christ. And when you're complete in Christ, that that means that you have access to a completely different way of living. We're not only complete in Christ, we become newly alive with Christ. But how is that possible? How do you come from the place of some of the people that we heard about who wrote those songs to being completely connected with Christ? That's the question that some of the believers in Colossae and Laodicea were struggling with as well. See, just as we talked about last week, the Colossians were surrounded by false teachings. And whether it was the allure of Greek philosophy or uh, pagan beliefs or Jewish rituals, the temptation to believe that Jesus wasn't quite enough for your salvation was all around them. They lived in a society where they valued philosophy and knowledge above everything else. 
So they could easily be drawn into ritualism because many of them believed that you needed knowledge in addition to Jesus Christ in order to be saved. And for a culture that believed that all matter was evil, physical matter was evil, it was very difficult for them to understand how Christ could be fully God and fully human at the same time. And it was difficult for them to understand how he alone was sufficient to offer eternal salvation. So how could the grace of Christ be enough? How is the grace of Christ enough in your life? If Christ's grace provided salvation through his sacrifice, surely, they thought, there must be something that you had to do in order to prove that you were worthy of that grace. There must be some secret knowledge that you had to attain, or there must be some action that you had to take to prove that you were worthy of it. That was the influence of their culture, and many times it's the influence of our culture. But here's the thing, Christ's grace has to be enough. It has to be enough on its own because there's nothing that you can do that will reach high enough or make you worthy to receive it. Let's look at Romans chapter 3. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in His grace, freely make us right in His sight. No one, no one meets God's glorious standard because His standard is perfection. Jonathan Edwards, who was an early American theologian, once said this, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. That can seem harsh. But it only seems harsh until you realize how freeing that truth really is. Because there's an incredible freedom once you realize that no one meets God's standard on their own merit because it means you can stop comparing yourself to other people and just accept the free gift that God is offering you. Leading up to these verses, Paul explains that Christ is sufficient that in Christ dwells all the fullness of God. He is the creator. He holds the universe together. So we come out of verse 10 with Paul saying this, not only is Christ complete, but verse 10, you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. You can be complete in Christ because he is complete in you. We inherit his fullness when we become followers of Christ. We gain direction and authority in our lives. But so many of us walk through life feeling like our lives are out of control. We desperately try to maintain power over things that we have no power to control. And we try to take authority over circumstances that we have no way to affect the outcome in. 
Many of you know that I struggled for most of my life with debilitating anxiety. I struggled with anxiety and depression. Worry is rooted in obsessing over future events that may or may not happen. Anxiety comes from trying to control things that are impossible for us to control. So how can you be anything but anxious when you've put yourself in a position to constantly fail at an impossible mission that you were never meant to carry? But when you have life in Christ, when your life is built on Christ's authority, you can live in the present instead of a false future. You can be still and have peace because the authority that lives in you is no longer dependent on you. And the future is in the hands of someone who can be trusted with it. In this union with Christ, we gain access to peace and the fullness of God. And make sure you understand that that is not based on our own authority. It's based on what Christ did with his authority. It's based on what Christ did with his authority. This is what Jesus said about his own authority. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. And we continue down a few verses. No one can take my life from me. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down when I want and also to take it up again. For this is what my Father has commanded. Jesus had all the authority of the universe. And he used that authority to sacrifice himself. Why? Why would he do that? Because he didn't want our failures to keep us from him. The answer is love. And that brings us to where we are in verse 11. This is where Paul begins to explain exactly how Christ used his authority to bring restoration to our relationship with God and how he made it possible for us to be complete and alive with him. Let's read the entire passage for today. You know, in fact, put down your pens. If you want, even close your eyes. Just let's stop doing for a minute. And let's just listen to God's plan for drawing us back to God. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ who is head over every ruler and every authority. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. 
You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with God for he forgave our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authority. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them at the cross. The cross. That's how we can be complete and fully alive with Christ when we bring nothing to the table at all. There's nothing to be added to what this text says. I could just send you home right now. I'm not gonna, but. (laughs) The Colossians were trying to add things into the gospel or people were trying to encourage them to add things into the gospel. So Paul reviews the essentials and the basic truths of the gospel. Make sure you understand what this section of the passage is about. They are struggling. They're making things complicated. So Paul says, let's go back to basics. Let's review what the gospel is all about, which is very deep, but very simple. And sometimes it's important for us to revisit the simple truth of the gospel as well. Because when we lose sight of God's grace and the most foundational truths of what the gospel is about, what salvation is about, that's when arrogance develops in the church and in the believer. When things begin to look complicated in your life, go back to the basics of the gospel and God's grace. Let's look a little bit more closely at what that gospel says. First, I can be completely alive with Christ because I am completely renewed and raised to new life. I am completely renewed and raised to new life. Let's talk about being renewed first. Despite our inability to meet God's standard of perfection, we can be alive with Christ because he renews us. Look at verse 11. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature, or more literally in Greek, it means the cutting away of the bodily flesh. Well, that's a fun place to start. Circumcision was a symbol of being under God's covenant. It represented the cutting away of man's sinful desires and their dedication to God's promises to the nation of Israel. In addition to the false teachings of the outside philosophies that we talked about last week, the Colossians were also receiving pressure from some of the Jewish people in their community to maintain the rituals and legalism of the Jewish faith. And we'll talk more about those in more specifics in the coming weeks. But some of the Jewish believers in Colossae were teaching that you needed to be circumcised in order to be saved. In fact, many Jews believed circumcision was the only thing you needed to be saved. But we know that circumcision was always, from the beginning, meant to be a representation of a deeper change on the inside of your heart. It was always meant to be a representation of a deeper relationship with God. Physical circumcision showed obedience. 
but it never brought individual salvation or transformation. Faith was always a question of the heart, not actions. The actions of faith are supposed to come from a sense of gratitude for what God is doing inside your life. That's why Moses, from the very beginning, told the people of Israel this, circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer, for the Lord your God is the God of God and the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. Circumcise your hearts because you can't bribe God with actions or knowledge because there's nothing that you have that God needs. God doesn't need anything from you. We don't like hearing it, but God doesn't need us to accomplish his will. But that's what makes it so much more powerful when you recognize that he wants you to be part of his will that he loves you, that he chooses you, that he offers grace out of his love and not out of obligation. That's powerfully freeing. He offers this spiritual circumcision because he desires a relationship with you. Look at Deuteronomy. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants, so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. God knows that we are incapable of overcoming our sinful nature on our own. So when we begin to follow Christ, he cuts away the sinful nature. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that anyone who is in Christ becomes a new creation. The old self is gone. You are made new. But that brings up a difficult question, doesn't it? If Christ has cut away my sinful nature, if I'm a new creation, why do I still sin? Why do I still fail? Why am I not yet perfect? Paul struggled with the same question. He said this, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree with the law and that it is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. Look at that verse. Keep that up there for just a moment. Look at verse 16 in the middle of that passage. But if I know what I'm doing is wrong, it shows that I agree with the law. What does that mean? Well, the sinful nature doesn't care that it's sinful. It kind of revels in the fact that it's sinful. So the very fact that you're beginning to hate the sin in your life is proof that God is already working in your life. Because only the Holy Spirit can stir your heart to repentance. That can only come from the Holy Spirit. And that doesn't mean we should just go on sinning and not care. But make sure that you understand that our eternal salvation makes our earthly healing possible when we partner with Christ in a relationship rather than legalistic obedience. 
Think of the spiritual circumcision in this way. The operation is complete and it was a success. But we do have some recovery time while we're still here on earth. Here's the real miracle though. Even though there's still healing that has to be done while we're here in this life, God sees us through the lens of Christ's perfection. He sees the beginning from the end, so he sees us in our final perfected state in Christ, even when we can't see it. He sees our new life. Circle the word new on your outline. It's not an upgraded life. It's not an improved life. It's not a better life. The scripture says that we are raised to new life. And God sees us in that new life through Christ. But what makes that possible? How's that possible? How does God see us in this renewed state when we still feel so broken? The answer is in verse 12. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. The power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that raises you to new life. Do you trust in that power? Just like circumcision, baptism is an outward act of obedience that's meant to proclaim an inward transformation. It represents our participation in Christ's death and resurrection. And it's not a partition that we choose. It's one that Christ offers. See, when Christ was placed in the tomb, he was placed there on our behalf, both physically and spiritually. And when he is raised from the dead, he is resurrected with the victory to raise us from the dead as well. Yes, our, our earthly bodies may die, but our spirit is immortal. And we will be given a new physical, complete body in eternity, 2 Corinthians 5.3. But that's not a truth for the end of your life. That's a truth for today. It's a truth for right now. Too many of us live our lives as if Christ's sacrifice won't be credited to, credited to us until we die. But eternal life begins the moment that you're saved. Your resurrected life begins right now. That's why later in this letter, Paul says this. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. And the reason I'm able to be raised to new life, the reason I'm able to put on this new nature is because of one word, forgiveness. I can be completely alive with Christ because I am completely forgiven. To truly appreciate Christ's forgiveness though, to understand what that forgiveness is, you need to first understand your need for forgiveness. Continuing in verse 13. Verse 13, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature 
was not yet cut away. How many of you recognize that you were dead before you met Christ? It was a trick question. Did you really know that you were dead? Or were you just aware that you weren't really living? Because there's a difference. It's hard to know that you're dead when you're dead. It's not until the Holy Spirit begins to make you alive that you truly start to see the state that you were in before. Most people know that there's a God. God has built that into us. People know that there's a God. Do you know how many people in the United States identify as an atheist? How many? Do you know? In most surveys, it comes out right around 2 or 3%. 2 or 3% identify as atheists. There's another 3 to 5% that are unsure or call themselves agnostic. But that means that more than 90% of the people in the United States believe that there is a God. So why is God's influence so absent from our culture? It's because people don't know that they're dead. The overwhelming belief in the American culture is that you don't need forgiveness from God. You don't need to have anything to do with God until you die, so long as you're a good person. They believe that they have cut away their own sinful nature. They believe living a good life is enough, but no matter how many acts of charity you do, it is impossible to live a good enough life. It's only being alive with Christ that makes it possible for us to stand before God without blame. We don't really like that term, sinful nature, do we? No, because our culture shies away from the word sin. It feels too accusatory, but it's the human condition. Do you know how many imperfect things you need to do in order to become imperfect? One. You want a mission field? Look right outside the doors. Actually, you want a mission field? You can probably look around this room because there are millions of people walking around our culture who don't know that they're spiritually dead. They don't know that that's why deep down inside they feel empty and insufficient. But you don't have to live that way. You don't have to feel that way. Forgiveness is free. It's a free gift ready to be revealed by the Holy Spirit. Look at the rest of verse 13 and 14. Middle of 13. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Through Christ's burial and resurrection, we are fully and completely forgiven. What did verse 14 just say? He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. The term charges against us is a sort of a legal term, and it's in reference to a certificate of debt. It literally means handwritten, and it's called handwritten because charges were usually written by the person who owed the debt, and that showed that they alone were responsible for the debt. You are responsible for your sinful nature. 
you can't blame the devil. Yes, Satan can tempt you, but he can't make you do anything. You are responsible. It's not your parents. It's not your girlfriend. It's not the government. It's not the rack of brownies. It's not your circumstances. All those things may play into the temptation of your sinful nature, but you alone are responsible for walking away from God. It's your debt. But look what Jesus does in that verse. He cancels the record of the charges against us through his own death. You know, I used to love this quote by Carrie, uh, Corey Ten Boom. She had a great quote, and it went like this. God takes our sins, past, present, and future, and he dumps them in a sea, and he puts up a sign that says, no fishing allowed. I love the sentiment. I love the sentiment of that quote, but it's not accurate. Because Christ's sacrifice didn't hide our sins away somewhere. And I think that that's how some of us think of God's forgiveness in our lives. Isn't that what we're all afraid of? That even if our sins are cast into the darkest part of the sea, an earthquake might come and bring them up to the surface, or God might get angry at us and take down the no fishing sign? No, God's forgiveness is complete. The Greek word exalifo here doesn't just mean I forgive you, but I'm just going to keep this in my file cabinet just in case. No, no, no. The word exalifo means to wipe out, to destroy, to obliterate. Every sin I've ever committed and ever will commit, every sin you've ever committed was forgiven through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on that cross, completely forgiven by being completely erased. You know, I used to be afraid to give my testimony. When I was studying for the ministry, I didn't want anyone to know the things I had been. Notice I didn't say the things I had done. I didn't want people to know what I had been. What would they think? How could I ever be in ministry if people knew that I had been selfish and manipulative and womanizing and hateful? I lived in fear that someone would dig up my past. But do you know what I discovered the very first time I gave a truly honest testimony at Celebrate Recovery? That my testimony isn't a list of ways I failed it's a list of things Christ can overcome. Your story. Listen, your story is not a list of failures. It's a proclamation of what Christ can triumph over. It's about the strength of God's grace and forgiveness because God's grace is greater than our failure. You want to go fishing in my past for accusations against me? Go for it. Somebody wants to go fishing for accusations against you in your past, you tell them to go for it. You might find some dead fossils, but Jesus Christ emptied that ocean long ago when he replaced my letter of condemnation with the one that hung over his head and read Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. The King of kings and the Lord of lords chose to place the accusation over his own head so it wouldn't be over mine. Look at Romans 6. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. 
But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. And when you really grasp the level of that forgiveness, you can walk in complete victory. I can be completely alive with Christ because I'm completely victorious. I'm completely victorious. Christ not only raised us up to new life, but he defeated our enemies. Look at verse 15, our last verse for the day. In this way, he disarmed, or more literally, he stripped from the enemy. In this way, he disarmed or stripped the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them at the cross. Has it ever felt like Satan had a foothold on your life? Is he robbing you of your peace today? Listen, you have to understand that Satan's been defeated. He has no power over your life that you don't give him. When man walked away from God in the garden, when the enemy deceived them into building a rift between them and God, the Father was not surprised. Jesus was not surprised. They had a plan to bring us victory right from the very beginning. And immediately after the fall in Genesis 3, the Father says to Satan, you may strike their heels, but I'm sending a Messiah to crush your head. We are incapable of closing the gap, but Jesus Christ is not the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. May the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Romans 16, 20. God was never going to let the rift between him and his children stand. So stop standing on the other side of the rift. Christians need to stop walking through this fallen world as if they're defeated. Yes, there will be struggles. Yes, there will be trials. There will be grief. But you can choose to walk through those things in defeat or you can pursue Jesus Christ and walk through them with hope. Jesus said, I've told you all these things so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I've overcome the world. The victory is not coming. The victory is here. The victory has come when you're alive with Christ, when his death brings a death to your sin and his resurrection provides your new life, you have victory. When John talked about this world and evil spirits coming up against us, he said this, but you belong to God, my dear children. You've already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the one who lives in the world. Maybe you walked in here today feeling defeated. Maybe you're so entrenched in your own fight that you can't see that the larger battle's already been won. The enemy is in retreat, but you can't see it because of the battle that's right in front of you. 
Look up. Because victory is here. The cross is the answer to every stumbling block. It's the answer to every struggle because every attack against you was settled at the cross. And when trials come, we can cry out with Paul and say, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries for tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No, no power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. We can claim that in every circumstance. I am completely victorious in Jesus Christ. Every accusation against me was nailed to the cross. And when Jesus cried out to Leo from the cross, when he said, it is finished, it was not a cry of submission to defeat. It was a cry of victory that we can carry into every single battle we face. It is finished. Stop walking through life as if the battle isn't already won because it's won. Maybe... Maybe this is your first time here, or maybe you've been coming for years. But either way, the question is the same for some of us. Are you tired of feeling like the world is swallowing you? Because you don't have to feel that way. You can be raised to new life. You can... experience forgiveness. You can be completely victorious. No matter what your past was, no matter what your struggle is now, God will fulfill his promise. The Colossians were trying to complicate the gospel. It's deep, but it's not complicated. Hear this with new ears today because the gospel is this. For God so loved the world, for this is how God showed love to the world, that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. If you don't know how to believe, ask God to show you. And we'll walk with you too. Our care volunteers are going to be ready to talk with you or pray with you down front here in the care connection room. Make sure you hear this before you pack up. This, this is all you need. Christ gave his son so you could have eternal life. Let's pray. Father God, your gospel on one level is unfathomable because of your love and your grace and your mercy that we can't fully understand, but we thank you that you make it 
so simple that we can just come to you, that you close that rift. And I pray for each one of us here, don't let us lose sight of your grace. Don't let us lose sight of your mercy. Don't let us lose sight of your sacrifice. We desire your peace. Close the rift. Close the rift between us because we can't do it. We give you praise. In the name of Christ. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. One of the ways that you can do that is by getting connected here at Brookwood. If you would like to know more about the many ways you can connect with other Christians here, or if you just have any questions about who we are, you can email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call us at 864-688-8326. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day.